0: Welcome to the Renovate Podcast. My name is Ben Fuqua. I'm one of the young adult pastors here at Christ Chapel. This week at Renovate, Ryan McCarthy, our associate soul care pastor, stepped into the idea of how the gospel changes how we approach and deal with our fear and anxiety. Enjoy. Enjoy.
1: Good to be here. How are you guys doing? Is anybody freezing? Yes. Yes, it's cold. Good. We did that because if you're cold, you won't sleep. Okay? You won't fall asleep. I mean, if it's a little too warm, and I don't want to have beads of sweat as I look nervous. So anyways, no, I actually have nothing to do with the temperature. If you don't know me, my name is Ryan McCarthy, and I'm the Soul Care Associate Pastor. This is just fun. It's a privilege to come and get to share with you guys, and uh, I get to meet with people, and and when they're struggling with, it could be suffering or sin, but just do face-to-face frontline ministry, uh, getting to deal with people when they're ready to get past all the all the talk and, and get down to what's going on, and I, I it gets me out of bed. I love my job. I've got this, the, it's been a three and a half year honeymoon of doing this role at Soul Care, but I've been here for 21 years, so I'm old and um, <laughs> decrepit. And when, so when Ben makes these references, when he introduces me, he always gives us like really um, overly kind uh, He's saying that like, I taught him how to preach and stuff, which is just not true, but it's so, I feel so good about myself when I hear that. Um, I, I, he's referring to a season that I, when I was his boss, I was the life stage one pastor before this. So that means I oversaw the life stage, uh, the student ministries. And it was one of those things, it was an honor to do it, but I was in a job that really wasn't my fit. It was... I mean, I, I got to, like, being Ben's boss wasn't my fit because I, I seriously, I knew, I could like, I should not be, this guy shouldn't be working for me. I could see it. Now, um, but here's what's interesting about it is that was a season where I was having to, I was getting to do a lot of the stuff that I loved, but I had to do a lot of stuff I didn't love, like make decisions about budgets and goals and keep guys accountable to keeping their goals and budgets. It was management. It was middle management. I didn't go to seminary to decide where high school students go on ski trips. That's just, it wasn't getting me out of bed. Now, you might be wondering why I'm talking about all this. It led to a season of anxiety for me, because there was a four-year period where I, w- I was brought into, I've been at this church for a long time, I love it, but I was brought into this honor of a role. And um, I never really felt qualified for it. I- I- I'm a frontline ministry guy. I love discipleship. I love teaching, counseling, preaching. And here I am, leadership, management, all this other stuff, leading guys like Ben. And I just deep down kind of always questioned: do I really, is this really what I'm supposed to be doing? And am I gonna be found out? in a sense. And then it became apparent after four years, I mean, I was doing a good job, okay, in general, but it, it was clear this isn't like, oh, my passion and my boss who just loves me and I love him, Bill Eigner, he, he, he asked me the question, he said, do you see yourself doing this in 20 years? I'm like, honestly, no. Uh, I don't know if I can do it for t- 20 years. He's like, well, all right, let's do this. Let's Let's start putting our feelers out for a, fee, a, a role that's more in your lane that, that you would love to do and that, that, and there's no rush. It could be five years, but because you're doing a good job, but let's just start looking for that. Okay, wonderful. So there's still a low-grade anxiety, but I'm kind of like, oh, well, now it's just an anxiety about do I pick the right job, you know, and that's understandable. It came budget season, no, goal season. We had to write our budgets and our goals, and we have a template that we use across all the staff, and Bill gave me the template. I put one of my goals on the rough draft, find a good transition out of life stage one into a new role, into some other things. In between meetings, I realized I never forwarded my goals to my team, the goals template. And in between meetings, really quickly I go and I just send it off and I go to my lunch meeting, only to realize I sent off my goal of transitioning out of life stage one, which caused at least three of the guys on my team to salivate <laughs> for my role. <laughs> and then that got back to my boss, you know, he's like, you just kinda sped up your time t- table. <laughs> like, we need to find you a, jo- a new role now because you just, ki- you just fired yourself in a sense. <laughs> I'm talking about fear and anxiety <laughs> That anxiety turned into a fear. The, 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 what, you know what the difference between fear and anxiety is? A fear is a threatened, it's a response to a particular threat. You see a bear coming at you, you should be afraid, right? I mean, that bear, if that's not anxiety, that's fear. Anxiety is an undertone that there's a general awareness that something's going to go wrong. That's the difference. So anxiety is this feeling. It's like having um, it's like it's an undertone of fear, but it's like having the Jaws theme playing the background of your life. <laughs> dun, dun 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 dun. You know, I'm going to sing the whole song. That that is anxiety, and we always have a level of anxiety going on of like uncertainty. Actually, the um the DSM manual, the Diagnostic and Statistics Manual of Psychology, diagnoses PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, as an anxiety disorder. And it's, it's what happens, they, they literally define it as hypervigilance, uh, follow me, I hope this is interesting. <laughs> it's helpful, but we were created by God to be vigilant. Okay, you know what vigilance is? If you know, vigil is when you stay awake, a uh, prayer vigil. You stay awake all night to be. Uh, we're called to be vigilant, keeping watch for the devil roars or roars around like a uh, uh, prowls around like a roaring lion. First uh, Peter five eight. I think he. We're supposed to be vigilant. Watch out because there is a threat and we are supposed to be aware, scanning for danger. If you're at war, you should be vigilant. You, so you picture a guy out there and he's. What's that sound? Right. That's vigilance. We're created. Adam was created with vigilance. Watch. Intend the garden, pay attention to anything that could go wrong. And that vigilance, the authority, the job description that we have as being vigilant, the authority we have comes from our connection to God. He created us to be vigilant, watchers, and keepers and protectors. So that's in us. Now what happens though when we disconnect from God? We become hyper vigilant because we have a burden, but we don't have the authority behind it to exercise our job description. Does that makes sense. Like we 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 are scanning for danger, but we know that we really can't do anything about that danger. So PTSD is called hyper. Vigilance, post-traumatic stress disorder, because when a guy goes off to war and he hears these sounds, he's like looking for, and his friend dies and all these things happen, then he comes back and he's still scanning for danger and someone drops their spoon at Starbucks and he's like, okay, that's not functional. That level of vigilance isn't functional at Starbucks. It's called hypervigilance. And so if you grew up and you didn't know if your dad was gonna beat you when you came home or if he's gonna be in a cheerful mood, every day when he pulls in, you're vigilant. And that's appropriate. But then, if you respond to your husband coming home with that same level of vigilance, that's not functional, right? That's that's. And actually, my mom, our stepmom who raised me, she would call my name. I'd be upstairs playing with Legos, call my name. And I didn't know whether or not I was in trouble or if she was taking me to go get a Coke. And it was pretty extreme, unpredictability. When my wife calls my name, I... I, I, I Almost automatically, if I'm not healthy, connected to God, I automatically respond with defensiveness. And she's like, well, I'm just wanting to get a Coke. You know, that, okay, that was the longest introduction to anxiety. <laughs> so tonight we're going to be talking about our prayer life and peace. Oh, no, I'm just kidding. We're talking about anxiety. Um, what, what are you struggling with? I'm setting this up. I want to have a clear picture of anxiety. What, where are you struggling with anxiety or fear? Because anxiety is the general term, but fear is, a, is going to bring anxiety as well. Where do you find yourself um, not experiencing the joy and peace and hope that's supposed to be yours in Christ? Mitchell, do you mind if I move that? Too late. I already did it. Um, we're supposed to experience uh, Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. That's supposed to be what our life is like, hope, joy, peace and believing, abounding in hope. If that's not describing you, there's probably a level of anxiety going on. Where is that and what would God say to you? Would you just say stop it? Stop being anxious? No, he. he He gives us something so much more than instruction. He gives us himself. And we see that in Matthew chapter six. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter six. And I wanna read a very popular passage, but hopefully it comes to life in a new way. As I read this, I want us to be looking at, um, yeah, notice the repetition. Jesus says over and over, do not be anxious. It says it three or four times. But you know, he knows we struggle with this, but instead of just telling us to stop, pay attention to why we can stop being anxious. Here we go. Verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are they not of more value? Are, are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider consider the lilies of the field. How they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I wanna highlight three steps that Jesus gives us, how to deal with anxiety. So just dive in. How do you deal with anxiety? Step one, we learn, we need to recognize that anxiety points to a worship problem. It's the first step I see here. Recognize that anxiety points to a worship problem. And where do I see that in the text? I actually see it in the word therefore, the very first word in this. Therefore, I tell you. <clears throat> What's that therefore, therefore? If you've been at church more than twice, you've heard that. What's that therefore, therefore? Why, what, what, is a there, what does he mean, therefore? That's called a connective. He's connecting an idea. He was just talking about something, and he says, therefore. Uh, and there's a connection between where he's going and where he's been. So what was the verse before this? Well, it's verse 24. And this is what he's just got done saying. No one can serve two masters. For either he will, he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. So Jesus wants us to see that whatever rules your heart rules your life. If you are all about money, if, if that's what you're living for, then you can't be also living for God. You have, you, you're either going to live for money or you're going to live for God. Either your bottom line, your decisions will be dictated by either what will earn me money or what will protect my money or what does God want me to do? But there are times that you, which one is, is the bottom line here? And the more you value certain things, I mean, money, I think, is an, a for example. You could say you can't, you can't serve both God and relationships, uh, romantic relationships. You can't serve both God and pleasure. You can't serve both. <clears throat> There's a number of things that could be there. But the more you value certain things other than God, the more fear and anxiety will, will grip you. behind fear and anxiety, something else is gripping you. So he says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat, what you will drink, about your body, about what you put on is not life more than these things. Is not life more than eating and drinking. Uh, These are just examples of things that are common to every culture. Whoever's reading this can relate. Is not life more than these things. And then so Jesus is showing us that, how fear and anxiety work with these examples, though. He wants us to take a look at the things we're giving priority to. Is not life more than clothing? Be honest. Have you ever worried about your clothing, about, like, does this look good? Okay. I mean, you look at your closet. I got nothing to wear, and yet it's packed. Anybody? Okay. Thanks for being honest, you two. (laughs) I mean... This is the way I kind of think anxiety works and I'm, I'm exaggerating potentially, but just go with me. Uh, I've got nothing to wear. I'm gonna look stupid tonight. I'm gonna look ugly and I will have no social life and I'll be single with cats, <laughs> right? It's just dominoes, because you got nothing to wear. And it's like, is not life more than what you wear tonight? If I don't ace this test, I can't get the grade I need. I won't have the GPA that I need to get accepted into that program. My brother will be more successful than me and I'll end up selling drugs, (laughs) pharmaceutical sales. So you give priority to certain things, and it will own you, and there will be this uncertainty and this doomsday thinking because what you've given priority to, your God, is this fickle thing that you can't control. It can't deliver on its promises for you, but you're tied to it. You 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 you've you've given yourself to a master that that is kind of beating you down, and the and the, and the result is obsessiveness and and. Fear and anxiety, a number of things. And I wish I could tell you this stuff goes away with age, but not by, not by my age, it's still there. My, my life is in these grades, in this relationship, recognition from this person, it will lead to anxiety. But if Jesus is your top priority, if he's who you're worshiping, you're going to experience something other than anxiety. You're gonna experience the fear of the Lord, which we can we'll talk about, but it is, it's gonna lead to a joy, a hope a peace, a stability, a humility. Uh, money is definitely important, but it'll be put into perspective. Uh, if, you, if, if you make it ultimate, fear and, uh, fear and anxiety will have you, but if Jesus is ultimate, peace and joy and perspective will be yours. Uh, if you are trusting in what people think of you, you're putting your hope in man's fickle opinion that is based on externals, God knows who you really are. His opinion is the only one that matters, but when you put your hope in Him and you fear Him, there's a stability, the the product of of fearing man, of only caring about what they think, is you'll get hollowed out. You won't, there won't be a consistent you because you're constantly being a chameleon to fit in with your crowds, but when it's God, you become an integrated person. He wants us to experience freedom and wholeness and all of this, so, If Jesus is your top priority, there will be peace rather than anxiety. There will be hope rather than dread. There will be faith rather than fear. And you'll be able to actually be vigilant, scanning your world for danger with the confidence that you actually have his power to be able to respond to any particular threats. You will have a light heart with heavy feet, you know what I mean? You'll be able to stand on tough decisions with a light heart, but when Jesus is not your top priority, you'll have a heavy heart with light feet. You know what I mean? Like you'll feel burdened and uncertain and guilty and things will be able to knock you over because you won't know like, oh, is that the right decision? It, life, it's it just everything is turned upside down, but one area we're seeing that is fear and anxiety go away when Christ is your top priority, knowing him. So recognize that anxiety points to a worship problem. Second step, then forcefully turn your thoughts towards God. Troubles come, anxiety begins to preach this little sermon to you. I don't know if you've heard it, but something, you're worried about something and anxiety starts to say, you know what's going to happen next? You're going to, let's say, you get an, an email from your boss that says, we need to talk. That's probably just a fear, right? But you have an anxiety that might follow because like, what, did I do something? Am I, is my job on the line here? And so this anxiety creeps in and then it just starts preaching to you. You know, you you don't belong here. You're, you know, everybody, and it's just talking to you. It, it, It taps you on the shoulder and walks you over to this place and points to all the bad things that are gonna happen to you. And it's basically, and by the way, I forgot to say this, What if, and this is an important point, I need to actually go back. Anxiety points to a worship problem. If Jesus is not your top priority and you take a look at your anxiety and you take a look at what's my top priority, what do you do if you discover by looking honestly at yourself that, you know what, what other people think about me is my top priority? Like you have a real humble moment and you take an honest look and you see that Jesus is not your top priority. What do you do with that? You stop and confess it. We get to just simply confess that to God. He knows it. He already knows it. He's already paid for it. He loves you. So he's not point, this is not being pointed out to say, look at you, you idolatrous sinner. No, it's he wants us to see this, so we stop and you confess it. And then you take that and you forcefully turn your thoughts to God. And in this, you have a choice. When anxiety comes, you can either listen to anxiety, you can either trust your anxiety or you can trust God. That's, that's the choice. You turn your thoughts to God because anxiety is forcing you to make a decision. Either you're gonna trust its little message is preaching to you, or you can start forcefully turning your ear, the ears of your heart, if you will, to what God has already said to you. And so I love this because Jesus, he says, trust God in a sense. Don't be anxious, trust God. And he gives us really interesting reasons why. He gives us two arguments. Here's the first argument. He gives us the birds of the air argument. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are they not not of more value? Excuse me, I read it wrong the first time too. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to a span of life? True confessions here. I'm 46 now, I guess, 45, I don't know. I'm 45, (laughs) I don't even know my age. But when they say you turn 40, you can't see stuff up close. And it's like happening right now. I'm like, I can't read this. (laughs) And I'm anxious. (laughs) So here's his argument. He says, look at the birds of the air. The word in the King James is consider. Consider the birds. Think about birds. I like that translation better. Think about birds for a minute. So if you're a bird watcher, you're not off the hook, right? That's a dad joke. (laughs) Oh, sorry. Consider birds. Think about birds. So let's think about birds. God feeds and provides for birds even though they don't have 401ks, right? He takes care of them. They don't have plans. They They don't think ahead. They just do their thing. God takes care of them. And I'm sorry if this is an offensive statement, but they're not as important to God as you are. I, that's just, that's just Genesis, you know, two and three, all right, two. <laughs> They're not, <laughs> sorry, they are, you are closer to God's heart, and he cares for the birds. He He providentially provides for them. He has all the power and sovereignty, and he's in charge, he's in total control, and, and then he uses that to love on birds. He and yet and yet i think i can control my own life anxiety leads me to believe that i can handle my life on my own and, and I need to be rescued from that way of thinking because God's saying, wait a second, your father who takes care of birds actually loves you and he's saying he's going to take care of you. So God, Jesus is saying, he's not saying stop being anxious, stupid. No, he's saying stop being anxious because you are in good hands. Another way to say this, your father who loves and cares for you will provide for you. That's the simple argument. It's freeing to realize that I'm not in control, God is. My security doesn't come from me, it comes from him. So that's the first argument. It's the birds of the air argument. Your father who loves and cares for you will provide for you, okay? Second argument is the lilies of the field argument. Here it is. And why are you anxious about clothing? I'll do this. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field; how they grow—they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will He not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Uh, Do you see what people are wanting here in this in this example? He clothes insignificant lilies with with glory. How much more will he clothe you? What is this about staying warm in cold weather? I don't think so because who's he comparing this to? He, compa- he he says these lilies are clothed with glory compared to who? Solomon. Do you know who Solomon is? I've made this joke before. He's the Dos Equis man of the Old Testament. All right, he is wise. He's everything a man wants to be, which is glo- they're all pictures of glory. Because I mean, right, what is glory? You know, I just bask in my glory. I just in the privilege to be around me, I'm glorious. Everything that comes out of my mouth is wise. Well, okay, who's wiser than Solomon, who wrote the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, and everything he said was like, whoa, you just sitting. Bask in that idea for all day. That that came out of Solomon. What a glorious thing! He uh, he had women, a couple of them. It, Doseki's man only had two. <laughs> Solomon had six hundred plus three hundred girlfriends, six hundred wives, three hundred girlfriends. Okay, so he beat the beats. We should make a chart, right? Dosseki's man, Solomon. Um, guys take pride in their yards right? I mean, like how manicured is my yard and look at like, my landscaping. He built forests, throwing a good party. If you read First Kings, you look every night what was brought in for the parties. And I mean, it puts everything to shame. Rich, I mean, everything a man could want, Solomon embodied. He is all glorious. Okay. God clothes these lilies, insignificant lilies with more glory than Solomon. Now, let's be honest. You probably don't believe that's even true. You know, I've never been so amazed by lilies. But is that, it's still, I mean, is that true? Do you think Solomon is going, it was, this was good. This is true glory. No, you know what his, his final verdict was? Meaningless. Meaningless. Vanity. It's, this is, this was nothing. And if you ever see Behind the Music, VH1, I, you'll see the point. Glory and crash. Glory, crash. That's my age, okay? Um, <laughs> So all of these things, God says, you want glory? I'll give you glory. Focus on me and my glory and I'll give you glory. It, let, I'm gonna be really transparent. I don't, I, I, I find myself getting anxious before talks because I want glory. I, I don't as much worry about looking stupid anymore. I've kind of accepted that. I worry about missing opportunities for more glory. That's embarrassing to admit, but I'll get anxious. And by the way, after that life stage one, like forwarding the email thing and and firing myself season, that whole season led to another year in my dream job of feeling this latent insecurity and anxiety that maybe I was gonna reveal myself again and, and be out. It just, it left a hangover of anxiety, if you will. And during that time, I actually did this study and put it together and found that even as I was preparing this, I felt haunted by anxiety and I didn't realize why. It was because I needed to prove that it wasn't a mistake to hire me over at Soul Care and I was gonna do it by being glorious in my talks. And so I'm using these opportunities to try to bring glory and I find myself nervous and distracted and unable to concentrate on the talk that I'm writing about anxiety because I'm thinking about my glory. So I love that these are the two things he brings up. God cares for you and he's gonna protect you, provide for you, he's gonna be your security and he wants to make you great. Those are the two, I think, two big broad strokes that's addressed in this and uh, what a great, what a, two beautiful arguments to give. Like, those are the things that we really care about, significance and provision. So turn your thoughts to God, forcefully turn your thoughts to God uh, to get through anxiety and, and give yourself to him knowing that he's good. So last thing, use anxiety as a as a reminder to actively trust God. Think of anxiety as a little alarm clock on your on your, I mean a dashboard warning light saying, hey, something's wrong in your heart. You're worshiping the wrong thing. Now you go and you you pop the hood and you deal with what's wrong in your heart and you turn your, your thoughts to God, but the goal is to trust him, to worship him, to, to believe he's good in this. And because what anxiety is, is it's, it's trying to be in control without the ability to actually be in control, Disconnected ourselves from God. And the thing I've never said is our reasons for being anxious, they may be perfectly valid. We might have really good reasons to fear, We might have great reasons to be anxious, but we have better reasons to trust. We have better reasons to trust God, even if the thing is really a true threat. And and here's, I'm gonna explain why. By explaining it this way, there are three ways to actually turn to God and to trust him. Three ways to trust God in anxiety. Here's how you do it. One, tell yourself the truth. Verses 31, therefore, do not be anxious about any, uh, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. As God's children, we're supposed to look different in the way we handle these things, and the way uh, we get anxious about it. But essentially, he's saying, either you can worry about all this stuff or you can, you can trust me. And how do you do it? By reminding you, yourself of these arguments that he is good, that he is he loves me. If you just scan the Sermon on the Mount, here's a couple evidences that he's good. Matthew 6, 8. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. Chapter seven, verse nine, which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who's in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? God is actively, as your father, wants to give you good gifts. And without spending a lot of time on this, if you think about it, father, you've given me and you've given me your son, You've provided for me, you've been good up to this point, and sure, I don't see how you're working this for good, but I, I, I choose to trust you right now. I'm, t- I, I, I'm not gonna listen to the anxiety that says, I'm gonna be single forever, or I'm gonna be without a job, or whatever it is, but I'm gonna choose to believe, God, you emptied heaven for me, you, you sent your son to pay for my sins, and you say that you, you'll turn all these bad things into good, and you know how to give me good gifts. I mean, if you think about it, when you give, when we give our kids immunization shots, um, they think that we're like allowing a guy in a white coat to torture them. Yeah, I got young kids. So when they, I'm standing there, I remember the first time and this nurse comes in and I'm kind of holding Lincoln and she comes and pokes him with sharp things. And Lincoln's looking at me like, what do you, you're bigger than her. You could stop this from happening. I'm mean, just sitting here allowing bad things to happen to him. It's like, yeah, but there's actually worse things that this is stopping and I, I have a perspective that you don't. And I think back to how I wanted to marry Sonny, Sonny Collins, sorry if, you, um, <laughs> if you're in the audience, Sonny. Um, I praise God that didn't happen. I'm so thankful. Um, I don't know what's good ultimately, can I trust, can I tell myself the truth and trust God? Here's another reason. I wish I could talk more about all this. Reprioritize God by seeking him. Jesus says in verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. God basically says here, uh, you know, if you, if you worry about me, I'll worry about you, Ryan. Can I go back to that time I was preparing this and I was worried about my own insecurity and thinking I'm gonna, I, better, I better secure my footing here and my place at Christ Chapel in my anxiety by being glorious. And what got me out of it was stopping and confessing. You know what, God? I care more about what people think about me here at Christ Chapel than I do about glorifying you. I confessed that to him. And then I said, God, help me just to worry about glorifying you. And, he's, and he said, okay. And you know what? I'll glorify, my, I'll glorify myself in you. It, you worry about my glory, and I'll worry about your glory. Do you know what's more glorious than a guy who has got millions and millions of dollars and many women and all the worldly glory? A, a humble person who loves Jesus is infinitely more compelling and attractive and stable and arresting, honestly, God uses the weak things of the world to shame the the strong. And we can trust by putting him first, he'll take care of us. It's always a leap of faith. But he is saying, you worry about my, you, you mind my business and I'll mind your business. So if there's something that's preventing you from prioritizing God in your life, whether like you're not in community, get in community. If you've got some sort of like a sin struggle that's hampering you, like Hebrews 12, uh, one and two, says like, cast off whatever's hindering you uh, so you can run after Jesus. So if you're struggling with a, a sin, I mean, soul care groups, this is our bread and butter. We love it. We got a lust group starting the, tomorrow. Uh, for men, we're working on, we've got all sorts of groups that like, how can you focus on loving Jesus. Reprioritize God by seeking him. And that could take a, a hundred forms. Then third, take life one day at a time. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I like the NIV there. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Like If I'm camping with my kids, I don't want to be thinking... Oh, you know, I'm enjoying this time with my son. I, I shouldn't be thinking, oh, what, if, what if Lincoln is doing drugs at 15? I, I just want to enjoy this. I can. God has not given me the grace to, to deal with those things that haven't happened yet. He will be with me in the worst case scenarios that are coming. And I will testify to this. I've had some worst case scenarios happen. And one of them was when I was really studying this passage, not for the sermon, but I was studying this passage and I started doing it. And then I got some news that would have kept me up many nights had I known it was coming. When that news came, I felt a peace that surpassed understanding. God was with me. And he, I just want to, I would love to talk all day about that. He is faithful. He will never leave you nor forsake you, but he wants you to worry about what he's put on your plate. You've got a domain of responsibility, and that's called today. Tomorrow is his job. So and I, I'll close with this, this is helpful for me. Here's a big circle, God's domain of responsibility. And then there's a smaller circle called my domain of responsibility. And because of font limitations, I need to make my circle big so it's not drawn to scale. Okay? But tomorrow falls in God's domain of responsibility. What do other people think of me? that's not my responsibility. I try to I worry about that stuff, but that's I don't I'm not supposed to worry about that. That's God's job. W- will the weather hold up? I you know, ever worried about the weather? We're called to trust in those areas. Will I be single forever? Will I um, does my wife love me? Okay. <laughs> does she? <laughs> Brandy? No, she's not here. She's not here. So, I, that's, you know what my domain of responsibility is? I've gone, we've gone through seasons like that. Do you even love me? Like, I think she probably kind of hates me during some seasons, right? It, that's marriage. You know what my role is? My domain of responsibility is to love her. It's not to worry about whether she loves me. My domain is to love her for better and for worse. That's what I'm called to do. What about tomorrow? You know what? I'm not in charge of tomorrow, but I can humbly plan today, James 4, the... 13 through 17 talks about that. Humbly plan. Um, What do other people think of you? You know what? Love them. Doesn't matter what they think about you. Love them. Worried about the weather? Bring an umbrella. Uh, You can just answer those. Clarifying what your role is, God gave you a a, a manageable amount to, to deal with. But when we extend our responsibilities, that's where we feel anxiety. We need to bring it back. Or some of you are too lazy and you don't do your stuff in your responsibility. Prayer, for example, is in ours. But he makes it manageable. Worry about God and, and following him. He'll take care of you. And then he's giving you plenty of stuff to do, like loving and serving and, and seeking him. But here's uh, just, wanna, I wanna you know, summarize this we need to stop just running with what anxiety just comes and just beats us around and, and preaches to us and, and owns us. No, stop and recognize that there's a worship problem going on and we have a good God we can actively turn our thoughts to. You don't know where to go? Go to Matthew 6 or anywhere else. I mean, God is revealing himself in every page and then use anxiety as a reminder to actively trust God. And why can we trust him? Close with this. God is the jury's not out about how God feels about you. He's shown you how he feels by, about you by sending his son to pay the penalty for your sin. You don't have to wonder, do you love me? Are you gonna be good to me? You, you, his feelings for you are not dictated by who you are right now or where you are. It's settled, you're a sinner. But Jesus died for me paid the penalty for my sins to show me how much God loves me. And that uh, Romans eight thirty two, uh, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Given the most expensive gift he can give anybody. And now everything else is chump change for God. I'm giving you, I've given you it all. Now let me give you the rest. And he is good. He's trustworthy. Let me pray. Father, um, <clears throat> I thank you that you don't just give us instructions, you don't just tell us uh, how to be or what to do, but instead you, um, you point us to yourself, you point us not to your character far away, but you actually point us to who you are and we see it in Jesus who came crossed heaven and earth to show how much you love us, you care for us, that you provide for us, that you don't treat us as our sins deserve. We have so much to bask in. Would you help us to make just small steps of victory of not, in allo- not allowing anxiety to be the, the narrator in our head, but rather would you be the narrator in our head as we submit our thoughts and our hearts to you. We love you. We pray to you in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: We hope this podcast was a blessing to you. We hope that the truth of Scripture, the truth that God will never let us down, the truth that God is always faithful, that He's trustworthy, that all this biblical truth would continue to move sometimes from our head to our heart. Uh, we acknowledge it. We see it in our lives so often. Uh, we've heard things like this before, but oftentimes there's this disconnect. And I'm reminded of, um, of this father who comes to Jesus in the New Testament, the Gospels, and he he's asking for healing for his son. Uh, and, he's, and he's asking Jesus, would you heal him? Would you heal him? And Jesus, Jesus says, do you believe? And the father says, I do believe. And then immediately after says, help my own belief. And I think so often as we approach hard truth like this, that man, do we really believe this? Uh, we, we do. We believe that God's enough. We believe that God is more powerful, that, that our fear for the Lord, our trust in the Lord is bigger than the fear and anxiety that circles around us. We, so often we know that. And we say, We believe God but would you help our unbelief? Our hope and our prayer for you guys is that this belief and faith would continue to deepen in your lives. If there's any way we can walk with you in that process of of what that looks like for that that hope and that faith to deepen in your life, we would love to do that. Uh, Look us up online, renovatefw.org. We'd love to connect with you. God bless.